A quick note before this week's episode, it was recorded during the 2023 WGA and SAG-AFTRA strikes. Without the labor of the writers and actors currently on strike, the film being discussed here would not exist. My daughter was 16 when I got shot. I watched her weep. I watched her curse me. I watched her join that cult. I watched the murders. My my tree-hugging, sandal-wearing son-in-law first, and then and then my daughter. Burning is nothing compared to watching your child's head being torn off. Thank you, Webster. I don't believe I'll be having that beer just now. Not unless I'm drinking it from Jonah King's skull. Hey everybody, I'm Joel Murphy. And I'm Andy McIntyre. And this is Silver Linings Playback, the podcast where we watch maligned movies and we find their silver linings. And it's the easiest week we've ever done, baby. (laughs) Yeah, it's, I mean, look, I have cards on the table. This is the last week of Nick Cage month and you and I talked about this. We always love this. We always look forward to it. But I think the last three weeks, as fun as they've been, they haven't felt as Nick Cagey as they could. Yeah, um, because it turned out that uh, the I can't remember the title of last week's, but the Willem Dafoe one was a Willem Dafoe movie more than it was a Nick Cage movie. Dog Eat Dog. Dog Eat Dog. Yeah, Yeah. that uh, Willem Dafoe was really the he, he got to go full cage in that one more so than Nick Cage did. Um, season of the witch dabbled. There were moments, yeah. And uh, you know the wah wah my baby my baby from the old way was as Nick Cagey as it got. Yeah, weirdly, like when we did that movie, I know that we we really felt that the end let us down. But after the doing the two movies after that, I'm like that was I think the high point. Going into this week was the old way. I think that was my favorite of the three. But uh, that that was an admittedly low bar. And I am happy to say that our souped up 1960s sports car blew past that bar this week, baby, because it drove angry. Oh, we were for sure driving angry this week. Uh, all we needed was Nick Cage in a souped-up car and maybe some supernatural elements. Well, you do know what else helped, I think, is that Nick Cage had a a personal vendetta against a character, or what you might call a... Beef! I think that was it. You know, that uh, in none of these movies did he have a, a, a vendetta against any characters. I can't think of a single <laughs> both of them. Two out of three, as a matter of fact. And you could even argue, yeah, Season of the Witch, he eventually kind of had a reason to want to kill the demon thing. Well, what's crazy, too, is there was another very specific thing in this one that was not in any of the other movies, which is that there was a very small child that he was trying to save. Or another way to put it would be, wah, wah, my baby, my baby. Yeah, none of the other movies that we talked about involved uh, a child that he cared a lot about or a child that he had to protect from someone. Yeah. Also, you know, you had this whole subplot where there was some sort of young woman that perhaps was uh, also played by an actress that might go on to do more after this you know, break in her career who is following along for the quest or being brought along for the quest. Like that's right. That that didn't happen in any of the other movies that we talked about. Um, now, uh, 
totally unique. Nicolas Cage has made one movie, is I think that what we've learned from all of this. Which you would think that, like, you go on to IMDb or Letterboxd, and there's so many movies that it it's hard to even count them all or calculate them all. Uh, I, I like to just try to sometimes look at them alphabetically to make sure I don't miss any of them, you know. So what order are they going? A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, L, M, N, O, P, Q, R, S, T, U, V, W, X, Y, Z! Huh? That's all you have to do! Look, if you're rolling your eyes in your car right now, just know you'll miss this next week. You will, because we won't be talking about Nick Cage for another year. You know what's crazy? You're going to have to wait a whole year for this to now be in the rotation. Yeah. Oh, baby. Why did you fuck naked? I never just rode before gunfire. <laughs> that... I, I, I Honestly, I was almost certain that that was just the clip you were going to pick for the opening. It is... I mean, we'll get there, but uh, number one silver lining with a bullet. Like, 100% is that scene. Literally. But, yeah, no, literally. But let's... Let's back it up. We were, you know, we've we've thoroughly introduced this. We've thoroughly reintroduced Nick Cage month. But let's let's specifically nail down some details of Drive Angry because they're cuckoo bananas. Yeah, this this movie is <laughs> by by definition cuckoo bananas. So Nick Cage plays John Milton, uh, you know, subtle, subtle. Also. Fun fact, in addition to obviously being the person who wrote Paradise Lost, also the name of Al Pacino's character in The Devil's Advocate, because also subtle. When I think of subtlety in movie making, the first two <laughs> names that come to mind, Nick Cage and Al Pacino. Have they ever done a movie together? Oh, that's a good question. I, I've just realized... That what we all need is a scene where Nick Cage and Al Pacino shout at each other, like just yes. completely over the top, angrily, <laughs> like just them <laughs> and each other. Honestly, I think Al Pacino should play Nick Cage's dad. And it's like a, you know, some kind of succession sort of thing or something where his dad has all the power and he has to go confront him at the end. And they just get into a very loud shouting match. So there is a movie <laughs> that they both starred in, I think, and this will be for next year, probably. It's called Vengeance, A Love Story. I hope the love story is theirs. It is. <laughs> I'm in. I mean, why are we just now learning this? I don't know. Halloween is canceled. We're, we're canceling October. <laughs> we're canceling October. No more Halloween. <laughs> we're just doing four more Nick Cage movies. Yeah. Oh, maybe it's not. Uh, no, sorry. It's just an article that's linking them both together. Never mind. I, I got ahead of myself. I don't think they've done a movie together. Okay, well, I just pitched something that's obviously going to be called Vengeance, A Love Story. Yeah, it's starring Nick Cage and Al Pacino. Yeah, there. So that's I had said father son, but I now think jilted lovers for sure. Yes, they are. They are jilted lovers, um, and obviously they're both rival crime bosses that fell in love. Yeah, I think that's clear. It's obviously clear. <laughs> no, 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 no. Uh, one is a crime boss; the other is a detective. Perfect. I think. Pacino should be the crime boss and yeah, Nick Cage should be Heath. the detective. And Nick Cage will be the detective. Yeah. You know, um, and yeah, and they, they've fallen in love and it's so it's a, got a little dash of Romeo and Juliet on top. Some star-crossed lovers. A little Pyramus and Thisbe action. <laughs> yes, for sure. Uh, um, and yeah, and they... Uh, and it does end in a Romeo and Juliet fashion where they somehow manage to both each shoot the other one. 50 times before they both die. Yeah. It's like that. No, so you, I, I was going to say, it's like that Dear Sister parody sketch that SNL did, where that song, Ooh, What You say, say, just keeps playing. And they keep shooting each other and with tears rolling down their eyes. No, and, and it's like Romeo and Juliet, where uh, first Nick Cage plugs Al Pacino like 17 times, thinks he's dead, starts crying. 
is about to shoot himself, but then Nick, then Al Pacino wakes up, shoots him 15 times. <laughs> and then Al Pacino's all upset that his, his lover is dead, so he's about to shoot himself. And then Nick Cage wakes up again, and that's the whole third reel. I think the last shot should just be they, they just each shoot each other one final time in perfect synchronicity. And then, and then, po- and then post credit scene, they both wake up. <laughs> and then we do the end question mark. Question mark. <laughs> All right. Well, Perfect. there you go. Perfect. All right. But yeah, so Drive Angry, John Milton, that's what I was saying, is the name of Nicolas Cage's character who he has escaped from hell. And if you're wondering how, don't worry, it happened off camera and they're not going to tell us. Yeah, he, he just know that he got out. He got out of hell. And he's back because his daughter had gotten involved with a satanic cult and they murdered her and her husband, as you heard in the opening clip. And they now have possession of his granddaughter, who they're planning on sacrificing, I think, to bring like the apocalypse or hell on Earth. It's not to unleash hell on Earth. Yeah. And so he escapes from hell to go save his granddaughter, who is a baby. And along the way, he connects with, um, what is the name of the Piper character? Piper Lee, played by Am- Amber Heard. Piper, Piper Lee. Lee is the character. Yeah, Piper Lee, who is a waitress who works at a uh, very problematic diner with a, uh, a boss who should definitely be arrested immediately. Mm-hmm. And she also is dating a man who the, she's not sleeping with. And when she quits her job in disgust, discovers that he, her now fiance, we actually learned that he had just proposed to her, is at home in their trailer having sex with a real estate woman <laughs> that lives there. As and, one does. And she gets in a fist fight with this naked woman and then ultimately in a physical altercation with her fiance, which Nick Cage uh, also sees and beats the hell out of that guy, which launches our road story our road trip with piper and john milton driving across the country to save a baby from a satanic cult while the accountant played by william fickner who is uh a you know i don't know like mid-level demon i don't know exactly he's like, what that he's puts like him. satan's right hand he's like you know satan's errand boy basically yeah satan's errand boy uh, he is tasked with uh, catching Nick Cage and bringing him back to hell. Oh, and we also need to point out that Nicolas Cage, uh, in escaping from hell, he stole Satan's revolver, the God Killer. The God Killer, which has three bullets, which is, a, again, we don't know exactly where this came from, whatever, except that it was Satan's. But if a demon or anyone is shot with it, then it erases you from existence. Yes. And so he has that. And uh, yeah, so then uh, they're driving across the country while, you know, in pursuit of the Satanists while being chased by the accountant. And eventually cops are murdered, which gets police involved, which are hunting for them as well. And the, the accountant tricks the police officers by using his magic coin as a badge. Yeah, he has a coin that. Uh, he can flip up in the air and then turn into an FBI badge or murder you with it. Yep. Mm-hmm. And then, um, so they make their way to Stillwater State Penitentiary in Louisiana. There's, uh, a giant huge fight and the movie's bananas. Yeah. Also, uh, you know, other fantastic character actor, uh, I think his name is David Morse. Uh, it is, it's David Morse. Yes. Yeah. Shows up as guy who knew John Milton when he was alive, who uh, gives him sports car. Yeah, that's his name. <laughs> uh, first yeah. name, first name guy. Yeah. Last name who knew John Milton when he was alive and gives him sports car. Yep. And then, yeah, they all converge and there's a big battle and uh, yeah, you know, normal. Also, this movie's in 3D. Uh, it, it was, I didn't watch it in 3D, but it was shot. No, neither did I. It was because it was, I think the original, uh, the original studio 
like titles for it were Drive Angry 3D. Like that was on yes. the poster. Yes. Yeah. So it was just, which I mean, I'm not the biggest fan of 3D, but I at least appreciate a movie like this that's very clearly shot in 3D where bullets and hatchets are flying towards the screen. You know, if you're going to do it, yeah. do it fun. Go full schlock with it. Yeah. Like 100%. Yeah. Like you either do like the really expensive Avatar version or this. Yes. Those are your two choices. But don't do the what everyone did after Avatar, you know, cheap conversion of a movie that was never meant to be seen in 3D. So it doesn't really look good in 3D. Thing. So just the screen has a little bit more depth. Yeah. And you have to pay for dirty glasses that you'll throw away after the movie. Yep. Yeah. Um. Yeah, this movie is bonkers. And I think that's I think that's simultaneously why probably a lot of people love it. And I think why a lot of critics hate it. Yeah, I mean, this is a, an interesting one to discuss because all of the reasons to malign it are obvious and you could even argue intentional <laughs> like it is very much meant to be a grindhouse type of film. It's not 100%. It's not concerned with special effects looking good. It's not concerned with, uh, I don't know, taste <laughs> like, you know, it's again, it's a movie where Nicolas Cage uh, wears a full suit while having sex with a completely naked woman right before a gunfight happens, you know, that he didn't know was going to theoretically didn't know was going to happen. He just is always ready for a gunfight, I guess, you know, but yeah, I mean, it's. It's a ridiculous world where most characters are horrible people and most things that happen are intentionally way over the top and exaggerated. And, you know, there's lots of gore, lots of blood, lots of corny dialogue and swears and, you know, all the it's, it's just like a classic movie intentionally made in bad taste. Yeah, um, a hundred percent. This movie is like every fourteen-year-old boy that wants to make a movie would make this movie. One hundred percent. Yeah, like that. And like, and I mean that in all of the ways that's complimentary, in all the ways that that's insulting. Well, right. I assume you're on basically the same page I am, which is we're doing this because we're going to spend the rest of this movie talking about all the things that we loved about it. Because it's like, look, I. I would never tell anyone to watch this movie and I would never question anyone who told me that they hated it, but I enjoyed it. No, this movie, it, like it's like we could nitpick about how the plot is just paper thin. We could talk about how like it's it's barely connected set pieces. I also I mean, if we really were nitpicking, I did find like I really tried in good faith to understand the accountant's plot line where he's helping Nick Cage for a while. And he says, you know, if you die, I win. And if you win, I win. And I was like, that wasn't explored enough. So it was just like, okay, you're hunting him until he needs to be bailed out. And then you're bailing him out. Like it was, there was definitely some squishy yeah, logic with that character. It, it was almost great, but not, Yes. Yeah. Where it's, um, where like, it's like the idea. Oh, God. I was just going to say, I think they realized at some point that that character is awesome. And so they didn't want to make him just an antagonist. And they, they kind of wanted to buddy him up to Nicolas Cage a little bit. But I don't know how much sense that actually made. Yeah, because it was like they're kind of getting to like in the enemy of my enemy is my friend type situation as it rolled on. Um, and there was sort of this like mutual grudging respect between the two. Was sort of the how it was like, oh, you got out of hell. Good on you. But I got to get you back. But yeah, let's kill this jerk. Uh, Jonas King first, which I think you could have King. You could have gotten to a little bit more. Earned, you know, like there, there's a version of that that you could have done, like you said, it's there's almost a, there's a, great. There's a cleaner version of it. Yeah. Yeah. But again, I mean, that's probably my biggest nitpick. And again, I don't even know how much I care about any of the things that I would actually malign. <laughs> No, like the this this is the best and worst version of this movie. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, because it's it's fun. I enjoyed it. You know what I mean? Like it's yeah, I, I definitely don't like because I do think you get into that of like 
if you started to, you know, quote, fix things and make them better, at what point do you lose what this is? No, and that, and that is, I think, definitely a fine line because this movie is absurd. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's like, it's, I think maybe if they had like just made it a revenge plot or just made it a road movie or something that might've made it easier, but it it was a little hat on a hat in a lot of places. I will say one of the, I guess the last thing that I would just point out is it, it ends on a very sweet note, which is, uh, Nick Cage explaining like, you know, Piper, I picked you to raise my granddaughter and I'm going to give you the baby. And that's nice. And that's a nice ending. And he, he goes back to hell with the accountant. But they don't resolve the fact that she's wanted for murder. <laughs> eh. Yeah. I'm just, again, I don't think it matters. No, yeah, but... it doesn't matter. Um, Yeah. So, I don't know. Where do you want to start talking about the the fun of this movie? Okay, so there's a scene where Nicolas Cage is in his hotel room, and he's having sex with a woman, and he is wearing a suit, and she's naked on top of him. In his left hand is a bottle of Jack Daniels, in his right hand is a gun, and in his mouth is a cigar. A gigantic cigar, <laughs> like, a, like a comically large cigar. Which, again, I'm going to play this clip one more time, because now, now that you know if you haven't seen this, that he has a cigar in his mouth. Listen to him deliver his line, which he can't deliver because his, he has a giant cigar in his mouth. Yeah. Oh, baby. Why did you fuck naked? I never just rode before gunfire. I never just rode before gunfire. He's like reaching Jeff Bridges territory. <laughs> like, From scratch. Yeah. Tony Stark made a cave. From scratch. <laughs> That yeah. is the greatest line in the history of cinema. It uh, is. The, the yeah. Jeff Bridges I mean, line. some people would say, like, frankly, I don't give a damn or, you know, I'm ready for my close up. But no, the greatest line in all of cinema is Tony Stark put a suit in a cave with a bunch of scraps. <laughs> from the I, original I, Iron Man, obviously. From the original Iron Man. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, Nothing made me happier that they brought that scene back in Spider-Man Far From Home. Well, and made that guy a villain. The guy that got yelled at turned on Tony Stark because of that exchange. <laughs> Which is fair. I think that's totally fair. I Look, we're not here to discuss uh, the Spider-Man Far From Home, but every employee of Tony Stark's is right to hate him in that yes, movie. Yes, <laughs> 100%. Yeah, he well, doesn't seem like he was a good boss. No. Um, <laughs> uh, da, da, da. Yeah, this... Um, yeah, that scene. So I was looking it up. There's another movie that I could see us possibly doing at some point called Shoot 'Em Up, uh, which has another scene where uh, the the lead actor is uh, making love to a woman and then has a gunfight while banging her, and that's what happens in this. And it's awesome. Ooh, which one was first? That's interesting. Uh, Shoot 'Em Up was first. Oh, ooh. Hmm. And it beat it by it beat it by four years. Four years. All right. Well. I, on the one hand, hmm, I'm curious, but on the other hand, I'm all for this. I think more movies. Oh no, should. I'm all for. It. I don't yeah. care. Who cares if it? Yeah, that's what's wrong with this movie. It's derivative. <laughs> it's the one thing that's not completely original in this movie. <laughs> yeah, that uh, huge problem with that. Um, but no, that scene is bonkers. Also, it, it, everything about it I loved because right before. We we cut to that reveal. We're actually in Piper's hotel room where she's getting her toenails painted by a man who thinks he's going to sleep with her, who is definitely not going to sleep with her. And she's just using him to get her toenails painted. And then she hears them having sex through the wall and starts banging on the thing. And then we see that. And then, yeah, the cultists show up and try to murder him and he shoots them while still having sex. Yeah. And then gets tased at one point. <laughs> And he like, does. it seems like the, <laughs> that might have heightened things. Well, or that like. It I think it um it locked in his partner. Oh, is that like yeah. it her in? I think is what they were going for. OK, yeah, it definitely seemed like <laughs> yeah, like had an effect that, on both of them. It, that the, the taser was powerful enough that the uh, the current locked in his his paramour in that, if you will. Yes. 
as, also, as you know, actually is physically possible. There's also, just to be clear, an entire running, I guess, subplot in this film that every, uh, you know, woman that works in the service industry as some sort of server who meets Nicolas Cage wants to have sex with him immediately, except for Piper. But and that's why he chose her probably to yeah. be the 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 uh, surrogate parent of his goddaughter or but, his granddaughter. But yeah, when he first meets her, when he's in that diner, uh, Katie Mixon is playing another waitress who is just not even being subtle about how much no. she's trying to sleep with him. I'm a big Katie Mixon fan. I just want to put that out. One hundred percent. I think she's hilarious. I think she's very good at what she does. Um. And yeah, I, I think she's very funny, and I think she's a good actress. I, like I think Katie so, too. Mixon. Yeah, she was great in that first season of Eastbound and Down. I really enjoyed yeah, her. Yeah, she's yeah. really funny in that. Um, but yeah, it's... Uh, no, she is not the least bit subtle, and it's it's no. pretty funny. Yeah, no, she's just... she. I think she literally says, aren't you going to ask what time my shift ends at one point? No. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and he's all he wants is his coffee. He's just trying to get a coffee... Black with sugar. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, to, yeah, needless to say, that sequence is probably my favorite sequence in the whole movie. The hotel room. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, like, the final battle is so awesome, though, too. Yes. Yeah, the final battle is great. Just because, like, he's driving around in the 69 Charger... And people just are catching on fire for no apparent reason. Well, there is a fire like, there, you know, but yeah. Yeah, but like, and somehow the car is kind of on fire and it's catching other people on fire. It's just awesome. Yeah, a lot of people are ending up on fire. It's also because they're they're planning to do this satanic ritual. Again, there's, there's a lot of nudity in this movie. There's like naked people hanging out as part of the ritual. And then, yeah, a lot of like terrible people that are trying to, to kill him. And, uh, yeah, the, like, there was also, I mean, there, there's the whole thing with the, the woman who actually is holding the baby who. I was just going to say, I, I think she's my favorite, uh, she's my favorite character in the whole movie. I like to call her not Vera Farmiga. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> um, to give you an idea of, of what she looks like, but yeah, like she is clearly starting to develop an attachment to this baby and you get the sense that. Um, she isn't going to let the baby get uh, sacrificed should it get to that point. It never does because Nick Cage comes in with a flaming Dodge Charger and lights everyone on fire. And his God killer gun. And his God killer gun, yes. Um, and he, you know, um, is able to drink a beer out of uh, Jonah King's uh, split open skull. Yes, because of course, in case you you didn't see that coming, he calls that in the clip that we played at the beginning that the only way that he wants a beer is if it's out of the man's skull. And when he shoots him with the God killer bullet, a piece of his skull lands on the ground and straight up Lord Byron style. Nick Cage keeps his word and drinks his beer. Yeah. Out of the um, skull. It's one of the many connections to the romantic era of poetry and literature. <laughs> I will. I Look, you can't tell me two things. One that in real life, Nick Cage and Lord Byron wouldn't have gotten along. And two, oh, they'd Nick be Cage, best friends. Nick Cage wouldn't be great casting for Lord Byron. <laughs> He's too old now, but yeah, no, but but like, yeah, like 30 year old Nick Cage would be an excellent cast as Lord Byron. Also, they both lived in castles. This is one of the other many things they have in common. Yeah, um, they both no. people thought they were vampires, both of them. <laughs> yeah, this no, this movie is uh, it's it's so ridiculous. Like, in some ways, this is one of the worst movies to talk about on the podcast because it's just such a cacophony of visual assault yeah. from start to finish that like it, it can't even be done justice. Like, think about the way Brick Tamblin describes the fight in Anchorman, and that's basically this movie. Yes, the whole movie is that the Anchorman fight. <laughs> like people are constantly getting speared with tridents and being on. Well, and they literally are being catching, on fire. Yeah, and they're they are catching on fire, and it's just it's it's bonkers, um, and it's awesome. Like it's just ridiculous and fun and silly. Let's talk about uh, old Bill Fickner for a second there. Okay, yeah, because this has been an interesting Nicholas Cage month because. 
as we've always said, Nicolas Cage always is silver lining in every Nicolas Cage movie. But this has been a month of people being in a movie alongside Nicolas Cage that are threatening to take a movie away from Nicolas Cage, <laughs> like that are so charismatic in their part. You know, you have it with Ron Perlman. You have it with um, um, Defoe. Yeah, Willem, Willem Defoe, And then you have yeah, it with, with Clint Howard. <laughs> yeah, even Clint Howard. But like Fickner, who I love. I just want to take a moment to say one of my favorite character actors of all time. He's great in everything. If you don't know who he is, if you didn't watch this and it's not ringing a bell, he's the guy in the opening scene of the dark Knight, that works in the mob bank and has the shotgun and is, you know, has the verbal confrontation with the Joker, which he's great in that too. Now he always plays like his, his, uh, motif is sleazy dangerous. Yes. Yeah. There's something about him. Yeah. That he reads as kind of a dirt bag immediately when you see him, which I'm sure he's and, a lovely man in real life. I'm sure he's a absolute you you almost have to be like yeah. if he was remotely as sleazy or dangerous as the characters he plays he'd be in jail <laughs> yes but I do think that so again huge fan of him and he always pops up in kind of little parts here and there and stuff but I think this is honestly for me the first time I can really remember someone just giving him a juicy part and saying go like, this is your end. He goes it <laughs> like he every choice he makes every scene. He's so good as this character. Yeah. And like. Like Satan's errand boy might be the perfect role for William Fickner based on everything he's done. I have no doubt that he could probably do whatever you wanted him to do as an actor. But man, is this right in his wheelhouse. And it's so good. Well, it's perfect because he has a lot of power, but is still middle management. And I kind of love that. That he's not Satan. You know, no. like he doesn't get to be Satan. Which also, like, there one of the things that I, I've thought about the most since watching this is that moment when he's explaining to Piper about Satan, and he basically describes him as a warden of a prison. And he's well read and he's actually very quiet and he's a thoughtful guy. And I I find that one, his delivery of that so fascinating, but also just that this movie's idea of who like how the afterlife works and who the devil is, is really interesting to me. There, There's like some secret low key lore going on in this movie that is a really fascinating take on eternal damnation. Well, again, because you also get the the we only got part of the clip, so you kind of miss some of the explanation. But the setup to that opening clip is that, uh, you know, his friend who we talked about, the uh, David Morse character, it kind of makes a joke when he's standing close to a fire of like, oh, you're getting homesick. And Nick Cage explains it's not the fire in hell that's the worst part. The worst part is actually that when you're locked in there. They're, they show you constantly what's happening to the people that you love on Earth and you can't do anything about it. Yeah, it's um, it's great because that is that like I heard that and it is like, fuck, <laughs> like I I get that, that it would be so much easier to just be lit on fire than to literally watch people that you care about suffer and not yeah, be able to and help. And have no, no agency whatsoever to do something about it. Yeah, but yeah, all of the lore of the afterlife is really fascinating. Again, the idea that there is this God killer gun where you're like, where does that come from? You know, and, and I love that the movie isn't concerned with answering those questions, because I don't think any answer would be satisfying, but it's just really fun things to add that make the world feel so much richer. Just the all these explanations again, like Satan is a bored. I also there's a line that Fickner said that really cracked me up to where he finds a guy that has a um, pentagram tattoo and the guy's explaining that like you know, he has a relationship with Satan. Like he, you know, he's devoted himself to Satan. And Fickner says, really, that's funny. He's never mentioned you. And I just loved that. <laughs> like, Well, and, and like just the fact that and it's it just rings so true that at one point, I think Fickner makes the statement that like, yeah, God or the devil hates Satanists. 
Yeah, that he gets annoyed that they're doing this in his name, that he does not want that. <laughs> yeah. Right. And, and it's just like, of course he did. Of course he hates Satanists. Yeah. But it is fun of like the idea that we, uh, we never see Satan, but we get he's almost like Maris in <laughs> Frasier or something. It's like he's a never seen character that we get so much information about that you can sort of fill in the blanks and get this idea of, of who the character is. Yeah, like it, it, were he cast, he'd be like Eddie Jemison from Ocean's Eleven, the <laughs> yeah. uh, the, the nerdy hacker guy. Yeah, like, <laughs> you know, like it'd be something like that. It'd be so well. It's uh, it's funny, like because if you actually go to the you know the real descriptions of like the real, but you know what I mean the uh, the canonical historical like Satan is supposed to be beautiful. Like he, he's supposed to be an angel. So right. Yeah. So he's just a mass of eyeballs and wings just spinning in a vicious torrent. I think if I remember correctly, uh, the Bible describes him as hot, but doesn't know it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, uh, so so like. You know, like uh, Mark Ruffalo hot. <laughs> Mark Ruffalo would be great casting for the devil. I think that he would fits. be a good devil. Yeah. yeah, I think he'd be an interesting choice. Yeah. All right. You know who else I want to talk about in this movie? is Amber Heard, who I think is fantastic. And I'm going to say, I don't know who this Amber Heard is. Don't know anything about uh, her backstory. I only know her from this movie, but what a yeah, fan- fantastic actress. Yeah, I think, I mean, it's like, you know, it's just kind of his, you'd think like someone as beautiful and talented would show up in headlines somewhere at some point, but yeah, I don't know. I don't know, but I, I really like her in this movie. I think she's really good. She's effortlessly charismatic. She carries this as like a co-lead. Big fan of Amber Heard. Yeah, huge fan. Mm-hmm. Also, yeah. I don't know. I don't know what it was. There was that one scene with her boyfriend where Nicolas Cage was beating him up. I liked that. Yeah, it's a good scene. Yeah. But no notes. Uh, yeah. I but no, when she like what's the line that she has to where She's in the Winnebago with the the Satanist leader, and he's saying that he's going to kill her and violate her corpse. And she says something like, well, between now and then, I'm going to fuck you up. Yeah, she um, obviously Amber Heard is has run afoul of uh, tabloid media and everything with the issues with Johnny Depp and everything. But I like her in this movie. Genuinely, I don't know what you're talking about, but I like her in this movie. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So just, also, who's this thing other that I, with, with who? Uh, this guy Johnny Depp. He Doesn't, was in. Uh, he was in a couple. He had a couple of TV roles in the eighties. Doesn't ring a bell. He's in the first uh, Nightmare on Elm Street. I just watched that, and I don't remember him in that. That's funny. Yeah. Nah, it's weird. Yeah. Um, he must not have been memorable in that. No. Yeah. Nothing. Yeah. But yeah, it's just sort of like one of those people that just sort of faded into obscurity. That sounds right. Yeah. yeah. Um. No, and I, I mean Nick Cage is he 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 really Nick he Nick Cages through this movie more than he Nick Cage through anything we watched this month. Yeah, we didn't get a movie this month with Nick Cage shouting, which I'm a little sad about. But this is the other Nick Cage, which is just effortlessly cool and effortlessly badass. And I also, again, I mean the thing that I always think that people miss about Nick Cage is like because he's willing to do movies like this people overlook his acting a little bit but when he's describing how terrible existentially it was to watch all this stuff it is really moving I even love the pause that he does where he says when she joined that cult like it's just it's very good he's all like the exact way that he's delivering that monologue is the right way to deliver that monologue. It's very good. And it's the most we hear him talk in the whole thing. And it's it's what it needed to be. Yeah. Um, so one other thing I want to talk about, and I'm sure there's a few others, but the very end of the movie. So when I was watching this, I, I'm pretty sure I saw this when it came out. I can't say 100% for sure. I do remember. Uh, I, I watched this in the theater when it came out. Nice. I remember. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Um, But so I'm watching it and like. At one point, um, you know, Amber Amber Heard is walking away with the baby and then she turns back and uh, Nick Cage and uh, William Fickner have disappeared. Mm hmm. 
And I was like, what a perfect like end of the movie. But oh, no, that's not the end. Because <laughs> we still have Nick Cage uh, drinking from the skull of, of Jonah Kang. Mm-hmm. But then we have them. <laughs> we have Nick Cage and Bill Fickner ride off into the sunset to the most ridiculous meatloaf song in the history of the world. Yes. It, like, this meatloaf song is so ridiculous and so on the nose, you would think it's by Trey Parker and Matt Stone from Team America. And I love every second of it. Yeah, and then it's also, where it, like, it dissolves into this very CGI just lava that they're driving over. <laughs> They're like driving across the suspension bridge that's slowly collapsing behind them as they ride off into the fiery pits of hell. I also I don't want to overlook my there's a such a subtle detail when he gets in the car that I clocked and it made me love it so much. So, again, he's drinking out of the man's skull. It's time for him and William Fickner to go. They even have their little buddy moment at the end where he says to William Fickner, you know, I'm going to escape again. And Fickner's like, yeah, I hope you do. And I loved that. But then yeah. he takes his last sip out of the skull and he goes to toss the skull, reconsiders it and tucks it into his suit jacket pocket. And I loved that so much. So good. So, so good. Because zero chance that was in the script. 100% that was in the case choice. That was a decision on, <laughs> on set. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like. It it's just like because I I remember watching I was like oh I'm kind of glad they didn't go ridiculously over top with the very end but I was like oh no they did and I'm even more glad with how ridiculous and over the top they went for that final little bit because like uh that meatloaf song is called like always or something like that and it's it's just absurd yeah at first I thought it was because it doesn't really sound like meatloaf I thought it was Nick Cage singing which would have made me even happier. <laughs> Yeah, that would have been great. But no, that was great. I also, speaking of songs, I do feel like we we didn't talk about this scene yet, and we should. Because there is so this scene where the police are trying to set up a roadblock to stop John and Piper. And so they're chasing them. And then up ahead is the roadblock, and they're stopped. And it seems like they're screwed. And also the chief of police makes it very clear where he's basically saying... When I now you all understand when I say to shoot their tires, what I'm actually saying is to shoot them in the head, right? And they're all like, "Yes." And then he's like, "All right, so shoot their tires." And so you get all that, and so they're about to execute them when they've stopped their car, uh, and then it seems all hope is lost, and William Fickner shows up in a giant—I think it's a hydrogen truck. And what is the song? Do you remember what it is? It's uh. The, oh god ne the needle drop in that i really wish i could remember because it is just this upbeat like pop song I, I it's i can't place it but yeah no it's hilarious and he's just driving like smiling i also i don't know if you had this thought or not but there it was in that scene in particular but there were a couple other times where i looked at william fickner in his suit doing things like that like wrecking a hydrogen truck like just plowing it through the line of cop cars to clear a lane for Nick Cage to escape, where I thought, I was like, did someone at Allstate see this? And this was the inspiration for the Mayhem character. <laughs> because it's, it feels very similar. Like, just now man in a suit, like, having the time of his life as just carnage is happening just around. Just creating havoc, yeah. Yeah. Um... Yeah, the, another just I just love the scene because it's clear that like Nick Cage's character is essentially undead in this movie. And when uh, Jonah King shoots him in the face in the and eye, then he just yeah, right in the eye. And then he just gets up. Yeah, like it's awesome. Well, also, I don't know if you read this, but to tie this whole month together. No, this is great. Yeah, I did read this. Yeah, so apparently in Season of the Witch, he was supposed to be stabbed in the eye, and there was supposed to be a thing where he lost an eye, and they cut it out of Season of the Witch, which we talked, we didn't talk about that specifically, but we talked about how the movie was supposed to be rated R, and then they edited it down to get a, a PG-13 rating, so they took that out, and Nick Cage was upset by it, so that was one of the selling points of him to do this movie, is that he would be shot in the eye. Yeah, and it was he would get to do that hard R, like getting his eye shot out. 
Um, which then grows back a different color, which is just fun and weird. And I love it. Yeah, all of that was great. Yeah, just uh, again, I there's a lot of like you said, a lot of good lore in this movie and just the way it functions. Like, I do like that because he even says too at one point where he's like, I can still feel the bullet in there. So like he can feel the bullet in his head after right. he's been shot and he feels pain, but his eye will grow back. So there is there is some kind of like Wolverine. Uh, you know, healing factor <laughs> going on, but like he also does feel pain. Yeah, no, that like I, I there's part of me that wants to like just see the fully serious like let's make a a truly great movie with this script version because I think that that might be really great. Yeah. Also, I I don't want to leave without this because I did look it up because it was bothering me. And it's that's the way. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I like it. Oh, my God. How did we how did that slip? Yeah. Yeah. It's so. Oh. And I because now I'm looking at the soundtrack for this movie. I do also want to give a shout out to the fact that when we first see Piper, when she quits her job and she gets into her I don't know. You're you might be better with cars than me. Whatever her 1960s, you know, muscle car is that she's driving off. That's actually her boyfriend's. The song that plays is "Fuck the Pain Away" by Peaches and A plus. Yeah, that that is one of the great hits of the early aughts. Let me tell you. Which was funny too, because I I heard the opening notes of it, and my ears definitely perked up, and I was like. It kind of sounds like that, but I thought maybe it was going to be like a knockoff or like this. The score was sort of, you know, trying to hearken to it. Yeah, hearken to it. And then I was like, nope, no, this is actually <laughs> this song. the song. So, the teaches of peaches. What can you do? No, that song is great. I, I highly recommend it. But yeah, honestly, solid soundtrack all around, including the ridiculous uh, meatloaf song at the end. <laughs> yeah, it's um, no, th- th- like this is just the schlockiest movie it's so much fun. Um, but if you hated every second of it, I'd be like, yeah, that sounds right. Yeah. I mean, that is the thing. It's, it's the exact type of movie that is, it is kind of critic proof, but it's also like, yeah, obviously a lot of people are going to hate a movie like this. And I get it. it. This is not, it is intentionally in bad taste and not for everyone. Yeah. Like if someone were to say that they hated, let's say, Big Trouble in Little China, which I think isn't of a similar vein, I'd be, I'd be questioning their taste in movies with this one though i'm like yeah that okay i'll give you i'll i'll concede that this movie you hated this movie i I get it oh for all the reasons like for the the whole thing from start to finish you didn't like that like the idea and the execution and all the naked fighting and the violence and you know yeah no it makes perfect no and like (laughs) i don't know it sounds like we're being a little snarky with that but i'm dead serious like if someone said they hated this movie i would i would not be the least surprised yeah, no, I like I think, yeah, we're both saying the same thing, which is like this movie is trash, but you and I are both very like nom nom nom, feed me the trash. It's delicious. <laughs> yeah. I want it. As- I love it. <laughs> like yes. because yeah, I had a blast with this movie, like completely. And not I wouldn't say like it's like a you know guilty pleasure or anything. I just enjoyed watching this movie. Yeah, and I mean, I think some of that is that our bar was really low this month for Nick Cage movies. Well, and also doing this for three years has completely uh, changed our barometer because I think this movie, we watch a lot of movies where it's like a movie is bad because it had a good idea, but it didn't quite execute it or like it hadn't quite figured it out or, you know, something is usually like a lot of times it's like could have been good. But something kind of messed it up or something threw the balance off. This movie is the exact movie that they set out to make. Like, I would believe that what was on the page is on the screen and they made the exact version that they wanted. And they, you know, they got the performances that they wanted and that everybody is happy with this movie. And it turned out how they were hoping that it would. And so I think I have that's, to agree. I have to yeah. agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. No, they, they, this is um, this wasn't like studio interference that made them change things like uh, they were given carte blanche to make this movie the way they wanted to make it. Yeah. And it's so I think that that's what I love about it. Like, because it's 
I think that's what's fun about movies. And I think that is what the spirit of this show is, is that, you know, I mean, there's a lot of ways to approach it. There's a lot of movies that are good. There's a lot of movies that are bad. There's a lot of movies that are in between. But it's celebrating something like this that was never trying to be anything except exactly what they made. Man, I this this podcast, I love it, but it has destroyed my barometer for movies because I, I have no idea what's good anymore. I do, man, I I I rewatched Across the Spider Verse the other day, and I went on Letterbox, and someone that I'm friends with on Letterbox, I saw they gave that movie a two and a half stars, and I I I it literally I still can't fathom it because I'm like you, you don't know you don't you haven't seen what I've seen. <laughs> <laughs> like god if that movie is two and a half stars to them like what's the worst movie they've ever seen right like like hannibal <laughs> <laughs> because yeah I, I i wouldn't wish the worst movies that you and i have seen on anyone we've seen things that we can't unsee and they involve dan Aykroyd trying to be bill murray <laughs> <laughs> we've seen not just a tale of one kitty, but a tale of two kitties. <laughs> and it was the best of times and the worst of times. We haven't seen a Star War. We've seen a Star Crash. <laughs> and like four Star Wars. And like four Star Wars. <laughs> uh, it's Halloween next month. Can't wait. But also, look, I mean, this is a show that you and I created with love. And while it might upset me sometimes, it is our child and i think what i'm really trying to say is where where my baby my baby silver linings playback is a production of hobo trash silver linings playback is a production of hobo trashcan.com if you enjoyed the show please rate or review it on apple podcasts hear more great shows on the peak sloth podcast network like this one this is philip and katie and Bridget, and we're three friends who like movies. Especially movies of yore, when we were small and everything seemed awesome. Now we're revisiting these bright shining beacons of our youth and figuring out if they are for real. So sit back and relax and revisit the best, the worst, and everything in between from the 80s and 90s. And find out, is, is it for real?